how are you going to train residents for this more complex surgery? If uh, one of the lessons also for COVID is, well, sometimes patients, you know, get some less invasive treatment, but the ones that still you know, come with complications also for DAVR, they still need surgery and how to train residents for this more complex disease. Right. And, you know, it's a challenge. I'm going to actually take a step back. And, you know, during during COVID, there was this concern because basically we kept the, the bulk of our residents out of the hospital. We didn't want to have our residents contaminate the other residents. So I would show up every day. It would be one resident and one PA. And you would never see two of them at any time because you couldn't take down my whole team at once because if we gave it to each other, we were, we were toast. Yeah, right. And so... You know, it would be that one resident that you were working with and one PA for the whole whole week or whatever, however they divided it up. But we also, in the education, we did Zoom education and we did two Zoom um, education sessions every day from home. And they basically got an entire year's worth of education in about a three-month period. They got this very intense one-on-one um, -on -one with attending physicians. So what that leads me to believe is that some of this more complex stuff is going to be learned via video, via simulation, and then they're going to occasionally see this in, you know, in the actual operating room. But that progression of the resident throwing every stitch, the resident doing every single thing, I think you're going to see fewer and fewer of those really complex cases done by residents. I, I firmly believe that, you know, the, the outcomes metrics are so high. We've set the bar so high for surgeons now mm -hmm. that if I'm doing a double valve an AVR and an MV repair, okay. Um, there was a time where I would stand on the other side of the table. I usually stand next to them to do the mitral repair. Now it takes a very special resident for me to let them throw even one stitch on a mitral repair. And, and usually those are very, very guided stitches by me and I'm very hands-on. Now, you know, Dr. Grassi has been doing this far longer than I have. And so I would love to hear, you know, his comfort level of what he's allowing a resident to do. But I will say compared to five years ago, I'm not allowing my residents to do as much because the patients are sicker and the disease process is more complex than what I was previously seeing. The easy ones tend to be being treated other places. And I'm getting sent the hard ones at Emory because most of it can be dealt with in the community at a community level surgeon's level. So that is a challenge then too, because if we get heart disease, we also want to be operated in the future. And so uh, we want to make our residents ready to operate on us, isn't it, Gene? Uh, most definitely. So I'm, I'm, I'm favored, you know, as you know, God made the mitral valve to be repaired by left-handed surgeons. <laughs> so true. I'm very comfortable standing with my back against the ether screen. And I'll always get the first couple at the left trigon one or two, and then set them up to race them around. And then when they falter coming around the other end, do that. Uh, I agree with Kendra. It's, it's, it's a time issue because of the metrics uh, of outcomes. And, uh, you know, I, pr I probably do a bad job of tying, teaching residents how to tie knots because everything is, a, is an auto knot, basically. So I'd much rather watch them spend 30 seconds fumbling to get a stitch and, but get it right versus the time of putting a stitch in and then tying knots and tying knots and doing two less stitches. 
Um, and I think the same thing for the for the aortic valve also. Much rather focus on them spending the time doing to me what's the critical part of it, uh, which is you know putting the valve stitches in and placing them into breeding the valve, stuff like that. So I think that's the that's the focus. So it does affect uh, it does affect one's management and how one does that. And I'm selfish. I close most of the aortotomies myself because I think in life I've taken back so many hundreds of people for bleeding for their their aortotomies I it would just break me down in tears to have to bring another one back uh but that having been said you're right Kendra it's it, we have to be focused we have to change I'm a little bit more of a pessimistic we did a lot of zoom education but uh, you know so much zooming I think people just get toasted and burnt out on it and I'm not quite sure what the retention was and I didn't notice a big uptick in in service exams and maybe that's just uh, this this year after so much home education uh, you know maybe it's just my residence or maybe it's me being a bad teacher but uh, that that is our challenge but it's a little bit more complicated than this it's more complicated uh, the effect of the covid well how do we train other surgeons, right? So we've been completely shut down. You know, one of the things that the ATS and, and the STS have me and my partners do are train other surgeons for some advanced mitral, mitral approaches. And, um, you know, I can't have any, uh, have any uh, on-site visitors. Uh, we've had some remote visitors, but the remote visitors are a little bit clunky because they're basically getting, I have to have the nurse switch back from a room camera view mm -hmm. to a field camera view. Uh, and it's less the same. You can still have the same, you know, camaraderie and kicking things around, but there's, there's still a loss there. And when it comes to proctoring, I'm not quite sure when my building is going to let me escape. I mean, right. you know, all they want us to do is stay in the building and make money for them to make up for the point billion, <laughs> half a billion dollars they lost a month for the three months they were down. So, so do you already? Yeah. So not, not that the pressure's on us, but, you know, that's yeah. what we have to make up. Yeah. So do you already experience this financial implications for the hospital? So you have oh. to. Yeah. Could people couldn't you couldn't go to a meeting? Not that you couldn't go, you couldn't register. They didn't want you to pay registration fees for an online meeting because wow. it was hard cash that they were losing out. Uh, you know, the, a, a goodbye, you know, hamburger for the residents at a get together? No. Uh, everything was completely shut down wow. in terms of finance. A pretty draconian. And I don't know what the you know what the final analysis was with that with all the federal and state resuscitation that was put into it. I'm not sure anybody knows what the final balance sheet was, but uh, you know our our job, our mission now is to crank out cases for the greater oh. glory of the financial system. Uh, similar, yeah, in in, in Atlanta, I can. Uh... Similar, very similar, and then yeah. we also had supply problems. Um, and so, you know, we still have supply problems where um, some of some of the you know, devices we use, we can't get some, we had to substitute this for that. This is on back order indefinitely. Um, and so, you know, some of it uh, had to do with, you know, things we were choosing that were more expensive. And now we have to use something that's maybe going to shave some, some dollars off of each case, but over the course of the year makes a difference. Um, and so, I mean, I think that um, there were many constraints, uh, exactly what Jean was discussing, 
But uh, in addition to that, just some some day to day challenges, getting what you needed, um, and and just routine things. Yeah. Um, but uh, certainly um, a different a different year for us. I'm I'm hopeful yeah. that we're we're headed to. Um, things getting back to normal. Um, I would love to start being able to go to in-person meetings. I am zoomed out, absolutely zoomed out. Um, I, what I learned during COVID is that I don't learn from Zoom. I don't retain very much from that that format. Um, and if I'm at a meeting, and you know, basically we lost an entire year and a half of data where instead of you go to this big meeting, some big announcement is made and everybody talks about it. It's not only that they're talking about it at the podium in the audience when that's presented, they talk about it at the dinner, at the cocktails, at the breakfast the next day. Oh, did you hear, did you hear about this? And it generates more discussion. Basically all the data from last year went in a black hole and nobody is talking about it. The and so conversation. Yeah. yeah, that hallway conversation, that continuation of that thought that what are the next steps? We had a whole bunch of information thrown at us, but we didn't really grasp what's been going on. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting back to, to in-person meetings and having those conversations and being able to, to really share ideas and, and to collaborate again beyond the walls of my institution. So Jean, anything that we learned that, that, we, that should stay from COVID? Uh, yeah, I think you source, I think a, a finer focus on, use, on resource utilization is not going to hurt anybody. It's only going to make us better. It's going to make our organizations more efficient. Uh, and and I consider myself very lucky because I was in a in an organization that protected me. Uh, I'm in an organization that has a lot of resources. Uh, so you know I was very lucky. Uh, I can only imagine in smaller places. And you look at institutions that are closing, being shut down, where you don't have the resources where you're not going to have the same team to work with when you're losing all of that. Uh, you know, I'm lucky. I have the same team every day, basically. I have the same three anesthesiologists, mm -hmm. you know, who do all our mitrals with us. It's, it's a, we're, because the institutions has that commitment and not every, not every institution has that critical mass to do that and to weather this. So I think from a personal perspective, I feel very lucky taking away what I learned Resource utilization, I think, is probably going to be the big thing. And then we're going to have to focus and that the beds are going to be quite, quite an issue. And I don't mean resource utilization like my colleague, Dr. Sofolio, who knows the cost of every stitch and, uh, you know, maximizes that. I go into his room. He's next door to me and I go in and watch and I and I learn. But I'm, I'm not that good at that kind of resource utilization. But th I think there's bigger pictures that we have to be aware on. And as Kendra says, it's going to affect how we treat our patients. Uh, to some extent, there's going to be a lasting effect on that. What we go because we're going to change change our choices where there's clinical equipoise to uh, to choices uh, where where we're going to be more cognizant of our of our organization. Very much at the Veterans Building, they were shut down throughout the whole summer from everything. Just nothing okay. nothing would happen. Everybody would be shipped out. The two buildings, the one in Brooklyn, the one in Manhattan, were just COVID hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so do you think virtual visits for patients will stay? This is my favorite part of COVID, by the way. I don't necessarily like the pre-virtual visit because I really like that one-on-one -on -one interaction. 
Um, but I would say that, and, and in Manhattan, you're a, a little bit um, in a better situation because you're all are in much more uh, much closer proximity, but it may take you the same amount of time. My patients can be hundreds of miles away and to have them get in the car and drive 200 miles so I can make sure their wound is okay. Yeah. Although it's a little bit odd on Zoom, as yeah. long as we have a relationship with their cardiologist there. And so somebody has listened to their lungs and, and listened to their heart. And there's a way to get an EKG. So I make sure that they're not in atrial fibrillation. Most of what I do at my post-op visit, I can do via Zoom. Now that did require them to like put their leg up in the screen and be pushing on their own leg so I could see how swollen they are. Show me your sock line. We got creative. Don't get me wrong, but totally can be done, especially if we have a relationship with a cardiologist or a primary care physician who can do some of the stuff that I can't do via Zoom. But if you can imagine if you have even an Apple watch, I can get a tremendous amount of information from your Apple watch screen from yesterday and if you have a blood pressure cuff and an Apple watch, I can basically recreate what we are doing in my clinic. Um, and so, although I love seeing my patients, that piece of it, that post-op visit by a telehealth, not only adds to the resource piece that Jean was talking about, but efficiencies, efficiencies for me and for my patients, but no. it does require coordination of care beyond my immediate walls. But and and yeah. Gene, uh, I, I throw in a scale. Throw in a scale. I like to, I like to, right. to yep. stand on the. I like I like hard numbers. I like to see the yep. scale. I yeah. do too, and I have them keep a chart of their daily weights with their blood pressure, and they can show I, their me the calendar, whole thing. the kitchen calendar. Bring <laughs> me, show me your kitchen calendar right. with your weight on each day on the. Take it off the refrigerator and hold it up to the screen so yep. I can see it. Yeah. And and I do the same. And I forgot the scale. You're absolutely right. But there's so much of it that we can recreate without having that patient have to get in the car and drive, you know, a couple hundred miles or hit Atlanta traffic or similar Manhattan traffic to come see me for a 15 minute post-op visit. I love seeing them. I love seeing yeah, my patient, but in terms of efficiency and resources, it's just not, it's not good resource utilization. Yeah. Uh, Kendra, you missed one finer point about post-op visits in Manhattan is the cost of parking. Yeah, right. Yes, that's what that's Absolutely. one of the worse than the traffic. Absolutely. That's what the patients complain of the most is the cost of the $45, $50 to park <laughs> wow. your car in the lot. Yeah, that, that's a lot. So, so Jean, you, you do a lot of the robotic mitral surgery. So do you see a, a possibility for remote proctoring? Uh, because uh, yes, and, yes and no. Uh, I, I think it's going to be part of it, though I think when we, when we start remote proctoring, I'm going, to have, I'm going to have another proctor there. And I think part of the problem is, for that in particular, I think maybe some of the dry run work can be done remotely. With a, with a hand thing. So you're looking at the team, you're watching them go through the exercise. How is the room gonna be set up? Where, where are the lines gonna be? All the, all the organizational component, which is part of pre, it's part of proctoring. There's no if, ands, or buts. You have to have help the team develop that process and develop that setup. Uh, remotely for the, for the actual proctoring, you know, it's it's going to be a little tough. I would feel more comfortable being there. But if I can't even get the people I'm supposed to proctor who have scholarships already from our national organizations to come and, and watch a couple of cases, 
we did during COVID, we, you know, because we had time, we, we played, we played robotic videos and we just had, you know, popcorn sessions where we just played it and, you know, everybody hemmed and hawed, you know, just showed unvarnished, unedited films and everybody, you know, got, got a feeling for that, but you can only do that so far because a lot of it's the external setup, which is tough to recreate remotely. So I, I I think that's going to be tough. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at metronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.